Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Espinosa Jones. Get ready to be inspired, create a deeper life to make your time on earth much more meaningful. Now, here's Cheryl Espinosa Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Espinosa Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Marsha Gray Hill. Marsha was born and raised in Kinston, North Carolina, before marrying her husband, Greg, and becoming Mrs. Marsha Hill in 1976. Her adventurous life of raising five children alongside her eldest son's burgeoning professional tennis career included lots of love and way too many drives down I-95 in a massive south wind camper. Fifteen grandchildren later, Marcia's still a Southern girl, splitting her time between Georgia and Florida. Her family is her pride and joy, and while caring for her mother throughout the COVID pandemic, she experienced firsthand what it's like to advocate for a deteriorating parent. This experience inspired her to become a voice for compassion and human dignity and to write her book, Grief and Grits, A Daughter's Journey of Love and Loss When the World Was Upside Down. Welcome, Marsha. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm very glad to have you. And I was telling you before we went on air that although I've talked with many guests about um COVID and the impact it had on their lives. I think you may be the first who's written a book specifically about losing someone during the pandemic. And so I'm very glad to have you to, to uh, add that voice to the show. So let's, let's get to know your mom a little bit because of course, um, our our losses are determined by the person, the relationship, the circumstance, and we'll get to the circumstance later. But let's start start with you and your mom. Uh, my dad was a minister, and um, we used to talk about the difference between real Christians and fake Christians. And what we meant was some people are kind of Christ-like. <laughs> You know, those were the real Christians, the one who have compassion and empathy and are helpful. That sounds mm -hmm. like your mom. Could you could you just share with us a little about her? Oh, my goodness. You nailed it. I mean, she was Christlike. In fact, one of my endorsers wrote um, on the book that she was the most godliest woman that he had ever known. And everyone that knew her would say the same thing. I mean, she took care of the sick. She took care of the poor. I mean, she was poor and she still gave. I don't know how, but she did. She managed to feed people. Whatever she could give, she gave. Um, she helped with the handicapped. If somebody had been in the hospital and needed a womb dressed, she was the one they, they called mama because they knew she wouldn't say no. I mean, she was just... I really never saw her do one thing for herself. It was always for others. And I don't care where they came from, who they were. You know what I mean? She loved 
everybody. Her famous thing, she said, the thing she said all the time was, I love people and I love the Lord. And she told people that all the time. I love people and I love the Lord. And I never, if I was, you know, if I would say something like, you know, not kind about somebody, she'd say, oh, you can always find good in somebody, Marcia. You can always find the good, you know. And so she was just kind and considerate and caring and loving and she went to the mission field because she wanted to tell others about God and on her little vacations two little vacations she had in her life um and so she was just she took you know she taught Sunday school her whole life she took kids that were unfortunate back and forth to church and um we took care of a guy that was in the you know a children's home um and so I don't know, I could go on and on, but she was just that kind of person. I called her perfect, you know, because she and was so Christ-like. Uh, having someone, I had pretty giving parents. I appreciated in your book, you didn't skirt around the fact that that's not always the easiest thing to have a parent like that oh. when you're a kid, <laughs> you know, right. but, um, because it means they're always going off and helping somebody or other. And, um, but, but at the same time, what I've noticed since my own parents have died is that those values are in me. I do it differently, and I consider myself a member of the human race a little bit more than they did. You know, I try to take right. care of myself. But uh, it is right. a very admirable quality, isn't it? Once oh, you my goodness, yes. And, and, as, and if I Yes, and growing up, like you said, I, I would like... I would go, oh, my gosh, where's mama? She's always helping somebody, you know, and I kind of yearned for her because I was like she was always gone because she was either at church helping or she was at somebody's house helping. And and at the time that was annoying, you know, as a teenager or or kind of I was a little jealous. Mm. But the, the lesson she, you know, was teaching me is just, you know. I am forever grateful because, I mean, she just taught in a quiet, gentle way. She was just always teaching by example. And the things that she did for other people, I mean, I find myself loving to give like she did, you know. And I'm like, well, you know, it's like they say the apple doesn't fall far. I will never be as good as my mom, but... I um or maybe just was, as good but in your own way. <laughs> this yeah, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> she also didn't have five children like you do. That's and exactly. She right. also didn't have a kid who had a demanding career like you do and um right. you know some real differences there. How do we know? But yeah. um, I I I have three kids. I don't want any of them to be me. You, you exactly. know. Exactly. <laughs> all themselves and and make their balance in their own way. So um, it also sounds as if she um, had the failing when you actually need things of not being very good receiving help. Um, exactly. And it sounds as if that came along before COVID that, that it was a big job to figure out how to help her in a way she wouldn't deny. Yes. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how you got past that with her, because I 
end up with clients all the time trying to help them get past the resistance in their parents of receiving help. And it seemed as if you worked that out pretty well. So what would you say helped you do that? Well, you know, she never wanted to be a burden to anyone. So she would never ask for help. That was just her nature. You know, she wanted, she was always helping others, but she didn't like to receive help, as you said. And so it was, um, it was hard because, you know, we moved to Florida and she would, I would be trying to check in on her, um, her and my dad and they would always say they were fine, but sometimes they weren't. And so that was very difficult. Um, and so after, after my dad died, and so I knew there was no one to take care of her because she took care of my dad. At least I didn't have to worry quite as much about him because he had a caretaker. Right. But I'm like, oh, my gosh, she's going to take care of mom. I have to take care of her. And I have to be in more, um, have to be more available to her because she's not going to tell me. I had to have her closer to me because she is not going to tell me if if something's wrong. And so if, if I get her closer to me, at least I can check in on her. Uh-huh. Um, yes. And so that was the reason, one of the reasons for moving her because one time they told me they they didn't tell me they had the flu and they were deathly ill and <laughs> you know that was just how she was so somehow though you know often people with that kind of don't want to be a burden thing they they also get very stubborn about resisting help offered but she went right along with you. Was that part of uh-huh. your, your nature as well, that she wouldn't fight you on it? or? Yeah, that was part of her nature. She was always, um, as I said, she was perfect. You know, she said if the teacher told her to do something, she did it. If the preacher said something, it was the gospel. If the, if the doctor said something, it was the gospel. And she... My dad, when he was sick, I brought him to Florida sometimes, but he wanted to be more at home. But no matter what I suggested to mom... She knew, I just think she knew deep down I was going to, I hope she knew that I was going to do everything in my power at the best of my ability to take care of her because I've had a lot of traumas. And so I, I knew that I would be get that second opinion. I would do, I would just do everything I could, you know. She trusted you. She trusted way. me. I think she trusted and, me. And probably recognized somehow or another that she needed help. So then you went to years of caring for her really. Um, And all of that, that's such a consuming, having taken care of someone for almost a decade who was very sick and declining, um, boy, that's full-time job doesn't really cover it, does it? No, it doesn't. And you had a lot of other stuff going on too. So all that Mm -hmm. affects, the grief because you go from this big full-time job to this big empty space. Maybe maybe we could have you share a little bit from the book to get a sense of how you talk about, about grief. Would you mind uh, or would you prefer me to read? Oh, <laughs> you can read a little bit and then I can comment. I don't, not sure which way you want me to do well, you you just um, you you describe grief and Elizabeth Kubler Ross, of course. Every, oh, yes, yes. Everyone who listens to this show probably knows um, on death and dying. Uh, I always say when her name comes up, 
that she didn't put the stages in order. Uh, and oh. fact, her son told me when I interviewed him that um, it was a language problem that she didn't wasn't a great English speaker and she just looked in the dictionary for a word and that was the closest one stages isn't that oh, ironic that's funny because you you really talk about um uh we experienced a major trauma so we lost launch into a quest for meaning to understand why this horrible thing happened how it defines us and how we can triumph through adversity that's of course the idea of this show but I, I feel as if you do capture, um, you know, not um, the oversimplification, you say, on the surface, it seems pretty straightforward to someone who's never experienced it, right? Exactly. <laughs> Something bad happens, so you work through it and end up becoming a better person in the end. Sure, that's oversimplified, but for those who aren't dealing with complex emotions like grief, the process has to be oversimplified. That was an interesting idea. I hadn't thought quite that way before. Uh, our friend loses their spouse, so we wait in anxious expectation until they're ready to love again, which doesn't always happen. Often exactly. Um, so I think you're talking about... Um, the, the sense people get when they haven't grieved themselves that it's an orderly process. Right. And yes. I think I think we could agree it isn't. <laughs> right. Exactly. right. So exactly. would you like to talk a bit about that? Okay, um, yes. Well, again, I lost her during the pandemic. And when I did lose her, it was it was very traumatic. And I was very, at first I was very angry about how it all happened. And so that's really why I ended up writing the book. I had a hard time getting over the, the anger. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I guess that was the first stage for me. First of all, is you're first, you're exhausted from everything. You don't even know what emotions are going to happen next you're just it's just exhaustion uh, especially because of the the pandemic and how she died and because and so, I was sick at the time as well oh right right and so and that's I, a big factor too right <laughs> that was a big factor and it was like okay am i am i just anxious am i you know am i over exhausted or am i sick you know it's and you know, all kinds of things were going through my head. And that was early, this was early during the pandemic. So none of us knew what was going to happen to anyone because it was just so unknown. And so I was, um, yeah, I was literally exhausted after I was exhausted. I was relieved because she was no longer gasping for air. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was, um, I was just exhausted, relieved, um, angry, um, lonely because nobody could come because of the pandemic. Nobody could hug your neck, um, which is what I grew up with. You know, you grew up with these, you know, everybody comes and brings food and they, and they, hang hug with you, and they right? come in and console you, at least, even if they don't know what to say. There's that community of your friends that are there for you so it was a very 
lonely time. Um, even my children were around, except one, and then she was having to um, um, not be, she couldn't be with me either because I was po positive. I had COVID. So I had to keep her away from me, you know, in another part of the house, etc. So it was very lonely. So I went through that stage and and then again, you can't really um, you can't really stop when someone dies because there's all these other things to, to, to that you have to take care of. Because if you're the sole caretaker, who is going to do it? So you can't really relax. You can't um, stop what you're, you know, you can't rest. Like everybody was saying, you need a rest. You need a rest. But I'm like, how can I rest? I've still got to get her to another state and you've got to you know, deal with the funeral homes. And I had even prepared for two years. And well, this is what I was about to say just before. We're, it's almost time for a break, but I really wanted to say that what weaves through your book so, so dynamically is you as a planner. And of course, our skills are also our coping mechanisms, right? So, yeah. <laughs> and... Yeah. and Grief does demand another coping mechanism. You had to learn to pivot instead of plan. And that sounds like a huge reordering of how you usually did things. Oh, um, yeah. I Very was struck, you know, you had planned her whole funeral and then it couldn't happen like that at all. So let's talk about being a planner in that time, too. Obviously, everybody's plans pretty much got the kibosh. And... <laughs> Where I live, they got them for, um, it's still not the way it was at all. Um, right. Still a lot of caution um, uh -huh. and such. So we've all had to, I think, learn to deal with unpredictability, um, right. which is the literal fact, but we don't always have to deal with it. Let's talk about that when we get back. Okay. Listeners, you can find links to my website, social media at the Good Grief Pays at Voice, Voice America. Please reach out. Please let me know what you appreciate, what you'd like, like me to um, do more of. You can suggest guests if you'd like. And to sign up for my email list, I'll, I will be starting a, a new newsletter soon. To find Marsha Gray Hill, go to Marsha, that's M-A-R-S-H-A Gray, G-R-A-Y, Hill, H I L L dot com. Be back soon. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. 
Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Resiliency is the human capacity to lean into individual and collective strengths with compassion and grit when faced with the challenges of lived experience. Join host Elaine miller Karras for Resiliency Within, a program of hope and healing designed to inspire you to integrate wellness into your life, your family, and your community. In challenging times, you'll want to tune in every week. Resiliency Within can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Espinosa Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, Please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to goodgriefwithcheryl at gmail.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I'm your host, Cheryl Espinosa-Jones, and I've been talking with Marsha Gray Hill about her book, Grief and Grits. And before the break, Marsha, we're kind of... Uh, talking about unpredictability, the unplanned in life. And and honestly, um, in the early days of COVID, uh, I was quaking in my boots a lot, and I'm not afraid of death. And I don't quake that often, <laughs> having lived next to a dying person for a long, long time. You know, I, I don't have a high level of anxiety, but I was quaking. And I realized it was not wanting to die or leave people to grieve from that kind of loss Mm -hmm. and I feel that's kind of what you know they used to say in the grief field that it didn't matter how the loss occurred that's completely untrue a lot of what you experienced was because you couldn't help um you you couldn't be with her you were afraid everyone was afraid uh nobody really knew but you had to follow the best available advice and you were robbed of of how you envisioned you would help her in the end. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a whole huge loss. Can you talk about that kind of monkey wrench? And well, that's a small way to put um, the devastation of your plan, your picture not being so. Yes. I mean, it was the unknown that was just so horrible, too. But yeah, I'm a real planner. And so I had planned this amazing, beautiful um, end-of-life celebration for my mom because she was she was so much to other people that I thought she deserved that more than any human being that I knew of. And so I was going to make sure that she had the best funeral on the earth. And so I had made two videos of her life and I had pictures already framed, boxed up with FedEx labels on them to go to North Carolina when they were, when she died. I mean, you name it, most of it was done. Ribbons for her uh, flowers were already made and it was just um, all planned out. And I um, obviously God had another plan. Well, or, or who knows what, right? Who knows what? I don't know what. what. 
some it was crazy plan. virus had another plan. And um, so it was just devastating. At first, I was like, God, how can this be happening to this woman that is so Christ-like, like you? And how can this kind of death be happening to my mother, you know? And I, I couldn't get help. And so I was really frantic. It's like you said, it was something we've never experienced before. So it was the unknown. Um, you didn't even know what to do. You didn't know, you know, what would help her. Um, what, you know, what was good for her, what wasn't good for her, you couldn't get the help. And it was like, at first, I was like, okay, you know, they, my doctor says, take her to the, her doctor says, take her to the ER. And I'm like, then I have a daughter that's a physician's assistant. She says, Mom, you'll never see her again. Well, my mom had dementia and in, went into Alzheimer's. And so she had become my baby. So I had already been through this whole grieving of losing my mom. So I'm kind of rambling and going off the subject. But I had already been through this period of losing my mom as I knew her. Mm-hmm. And then so now she was my baby. And so... Yet, yet on the other hand, she's still your mother. Exactly. <laughs> right? It's not exactly. the same. Yeah. It's the weirdest thing. I was thinking about it last night during the night. I'm like, I referred to her as my mother. Then she became my baby. So I talked to her as she was my child. And now I talk to her as my mother again, even though she's not alive. She's still with me and I still talk to her every day. But, but, oh my gosh, I'm going back. I'm, I'm getting off the subject, but. Oh, you're totally anyway. on the subject, Marsha. <laughs> totally <laughs> on the subject. <laughs> so anyway, she had become my baby. And so I'm like, how can I drop off a baby, my baby, that can't speak for herself? She's a voice that, you know, she can't speak. She was so frail and so weak that literally she couldn't speak to me or anyone. So how can I drop her off? She could have landed in a hallway. Um, she couldn't have said, I'm cold. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm hurting. I'm gasping for, you know, I did, you know, so the thoughts of doing that, I just couldn't do it. And I've learned through this that I think a lot of times things happen for a reason. You have to fight for your we fight for our children. So I'm like, okay, I have to fight for her and make sure that I can do the best I can in the situation that I don't even know what this COVID is. So, you know, what, what comes to my mind is, um, I, I have this idea. I'm sure it's not mine. I'm sure I got it somewhere that as soon as we say the something, the immigrants, the elderly, the blacks, the as soon as we do that, we've dehumanized. Mm-hmm. And as someone who's aging, you know, I I say I'm old and people argue, but I am, I'm 70, right? Um, there is this sense that, oh, well, they're at the end of their life okay. anyway. And it's just so untrue both for the person, her her ending would have been different if you could have been there, right? Exactly. And also for the grievers, because every loss creates a whole lot of grievers. Imagine how many people have grieved your mother, um, right. ultimately and at a greater distance. And so, yes, 
it would have been an extra load for you to carry if she had gone in there into a uh, situation where she wasn't seen as her and where people had no memory of her in a better physical condition. And uh, I can imagine that really sat heavy with you. Yes. And I have people that say, well, how old was your mother? And, you know, when you said 91, they go, oh, like, it's okay if she died because she was 91. You know, and it's like and that rules out two things. You had her such a long time. Not having her was unimaginable. Right. Exactly. I have a friend whose whose mother died when he when she was 111. <gasps> and it was like his whole life was turned upside down. Because he didn't expect the grief. But, of course, when you've had your mother for 111 years, he's an old man who always had his mother, right? So I think think we underestimate that. That's one thing. And then um, the brutality of COVID deaths, especially at the beginning. Mm -hmm. A very, very brutal situation for which there was no good answer. No, too many people lost their lives. Yeah. And we just didn't know. They just didn't know anything then. And so I was I was angry of people that people that didn't show up. And I was I was, you know, doctor was MIA a lot. And uh, there were heroes, people that did show up. And um, and so I was like, I've learned, you know, from that, that we they, people didn't know people were scared and i've tried to give myself grace because the last day the day that she died i wasn't with mama i was with mama up until that but i was given advice since i had covid to stay home the last day and you know i've had a lot of guilt over that but um people just didn't know and at first i was angry i had a caregiver that ran away it was her day to work you know she was supposed to be coming in to relieve her own sister and you know she just refused to come to work and that was happening everywhere but people were were frightened you know yes and i can and now i understand that and i you know but it it took uh, it it took a while for me to get to that point i'm not gonna lie you know because it was my mother (laughs) Actually, I I appreciate it in your book that you talk so openly about your self-recriminations and your anger, because that is such a natural part of grieving, but people tend to hide it, right? Um, And so they're they're festering inside with all of that self-doubt and criticism, and it doesn't doesn't move then, right? Right. It just sort of sits on you. I could hope that maybe writing about it actually helped you because obviously um, many people, most people go to guilt. I mean, it's easier to grapple with, I made a mistake than it is to grapple with the loss sometimes. But in in the pandemic situation, so much bigger because um, you, you had, everything planned down to the dotted I's and cross T's and none of it happened the way that you had planned it. That must've been such a clobber for you. Yeah, it was, it was horrible. It was horrible really. And it was just, like I said, you went from anger to loneliness to, 
Um, and then get in, it got into the let me get busy mode, like let me get on with the, the funeral and stuff. And then it was like we did, I didn't go to the funeral, even though, you know, the laws were different in each state because the governor controlled all the rules, all these rules that were going on that, you know, <laughs> some I of them, you know, were crazy, but at the, point, at the time, I lived on the beach and couldn't walk on the beach <laughs> at the time. And so, um, so anyway, we were dealing with all of the rules, and that's part of the reason why I wasn't with Mama early on because I was doing all these, you know, can't see her for 14 days because I'd been with my children and trying to do everything the right way right. is what we thought was the right way at the time. And so by the time had I did she not, Had she not contracted it, you could have felt good about that. And you didn't give it to her, you know. No, I didn't. But I didn't give it. So much unpredictability in it, wasn't? Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, so much unpredictability, and you know, I couldn't. I had caregivers. I had three caregivers at the time, and you know, I wanted to say, and I didn't. And then I was like, maybe I should have. I would, I would say to them, like, oh, be careful what you're doing. But I couldn't control what they were doing outside of when they were with my mother. You know, and so that's how she ended up getting COVID because of a caregiver that her, saw the daughter that lived next door. What are you going to do? You know, and she, you know, she got COVID and then gave it to mama. But it was just a lot of a lot of anger because I don't think I was told the truth about some of her tests. And I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm trying not to blame anybody, but it was just, yeah, I was very angry at first. Um and I had one caregiver that stayed with her, even though she ended up being positive, too, until the day she took her last breath. She, she's a big hero. <laughs> um, but anyway, it, it was, was just one of two directions. I, I, it sounds as if you had some quasi angels. You had a couple of definite angels and yeah. then a bunch of not that usefuls. <laughs> exactly. That <laughs> exactly. That's pretty good. Yes. Yes. <laughs> It, it usually seems to fall into angels or not that usefuls when, when I'm That's talking people about, about care. I want to emphasize, though, um, your experience was affected by privilege. Wouldn't you agree? Okay. You had enough money. Um, she had a, a place to be where had, uh, had nobody brought COVID in, she would have been safe. Mm -hmm. You were nearby. Uh, you have a large family that could have supported. Mm -hmm. And so as I was reading, I was thinking, this is a devastating and horrible thing and a lot better than a lot of people experienced. Isn't that exactly. uh Some of the brutal ways that that went for people. Oh. Um, I, I, I'm... You know, I, I can't stop my mind envisioning that. Mm -hmm. Yes, because I was very privileged. I mean, I grew up really poor. And and so I'm very, very grateful for that because I don't think anybody's better in this world than anybody else. And I never will. And I raise my children that way. Um, but but I was fortunate enough to keep my mom at home and to pay for caregivers and not I can't even imagine what went on with other people. And we had a horrific time. So, I mean, that's why another reason I wanted to write the book, because 
I know there are so many stories out there that are worse than ours and that if we don't talk about them, we're never going to learn from them. And it's just, I, I can't imagine. Like I said, I didn't take my mama to the ER, but other people didn't have a choice. Didn't have a choice. That's they right. They didn't have choices. And they were, and there were also other, like, just say you took them to the hospital and then other people were in um, nursing home facilities or any other facilities that their loved ones are cared for, cared for. And they couldn't see them either because the government, Again, each state had different laws, and then those people had to apply, you know, those laws. Um, and so it was just, I mean, I've had people send me, since I've written the book, um, pictures of their loved ones outside the window of facilities, um, not yes. being able to touch them. And I feel like that's something that needs to change because... I, I feel like that if I wanted to be with my mom and take my life in my own hands, that I should be allowed to. I, I interviewed somebody a couple of months ago who literally went and picked up her parents and took them to her house. But that's a really tough, a, a really tough thing to do, you know. Yeah. Uh, um, it, yeah. So could we say it this way, and I'll and I'll go out to the break on this note, that um, in my humble opinion, health healthcare is broken, and yes. the pandemic made it so obvious. It it turned the volume up so much on that, but it wasn't that great before for for declining people, uh, no. and. Even people who didn't get sick, I have a uh, uh, somebody I worked with who uh, lived in a in an independent living environment. Well, mm -hmm. all the social relationships got oh. destroyed, right? Oh. So they're still rebuilding because people died, people left. Now there's new people, but nobody knows anybody. You know, it's our system is not set up to make that that time in life very positive. And I think a lot of people gave up too. A lot of, you know, they were so isolated. Yes. They gave up. Elderly people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. We'll come back and talk more about that in a few minutes. Okay. Uh, you can go to my website during the break, listeners. I'm at goodgravewithcheryl.com or the Good Grief host page. There's a link to everything there. And to find Marsha Gray Hill, go to marshagrayhill.com. Be back soon. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, Follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. 
These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins looks at how natural healing and biological dentistry can safely and effectively treat most health problems. You'll hear about the innovations in both traditional and alternative medicine therapies with doctors and dentists, along with discussions with chiropractors, medical experts, homeopaths, naturopaths, and energetic healers. It's great to have all the best information in one place. And Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins brings it all together. Listen Thursdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Espinosa-Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, Please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to goodgriefwithcheryl at gmail.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I've been talking with Marsha Gray Hill about her book, Grief and Grits. And, you know, Marsha, I have a couple of directions for this last uh, segment. One is just what actually helped you. Obviously, the few people that were angels helped you, but that's more practical, isn't it? I mean, you can be, you can be. It's a heartful thing. You're grateful, um, but I wonder if there are things people said and did that helped you navigate that loss in such a horrible situation. Um, because you didn't have access to some of the people you would have shared it with, right? Your um, your siblings and uh, even your kids. Everybody was was split up. Um, do do you think of anything that actually supported you through it? Um, because you are here and you wrote a whole book. <laughs> you know uh, that's a lot to do in a very short. That's only a few years ago, right? Oh, well, my faith is what got me through, really. Um, If I hadn't had my faith, and that really gave me comfort and strength during that time, because you're, like, again, I was very lonely. And if I hadn't had God with me, I I don't know how I would have made it. Because I had to really lean on Him, give everything to Him, because I'm a control freak. And I just had to let go talk to him, talk to my mom all the time. Mm-hmm. I let her know how things went down and how I tried. And, you know, I did the best I could. And I, I really, um, yeah, leaned on God. I had my husband at home, thank God. He was so supportive. And, um, you know, you could talk to people on the phone. But again, when sometimes you get, I, you, you go through that isolation stage too. You really don't want to talk to anybody outside. And it's like I need to be alone with God. I need to keep talking, communicating with my mother. And I needed to 
um, I needed to really analyze. You know, I had I had so much guilt that I had to take that time to analyze everything. I know it's probably not how other people do, but I needed to give myself some grace. But in order to do that, I had to relive it so many times to um, to to give myself some grace in the fact that this is how it happened there that I did everything I could in the moment with what I knew at the time and that um and that I knew that my mama knew deep down that I had done the best I could and that was important to me is what and that, she and that, that was good enough for her whether yes. that was good enough for you uh-huh. um, yeah I, uh, um of course, I have people on the show that have all different um, spiritual perspectives. Exactly. Um, which I'm grateful for. And I have several at once, so I don't, I don't know what to say about myself. Um, but relying on something larger than yourself is spiritual exactly. view you're talking about. Exactly. However you define that. And um, I think it's worth talking about because I've encountered people who think that because they have faith, they they shouldn't have to grieve? Have you ever oh. encountered that? Um, oh yes, that oh every God's here for me. I've got faith. That's all. And and, and you know the person is with God, but of course grief isn't about the person's experience. It's about your experience without them, right? So I appreciate that in your, um, in the worst, probably the worst time in your life mm -hmm. it it was solace not um not this shouldn't bother me or you you oh. know uh, i i think that's such a disservice to the human experience because we're wired for grief we're literally wired to to feel it when we lose a person or a thing um so i'm i'm kind of you know, emphasizing it because um, I know there are people also whose faith is I pray, I live a good life, and therefore I get what I want. And obviously, that's not true. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, and you had the extra I plan, and therefore, you know, everything will come out right to come mm -hmm. to terms with the fact that that's only part of life. That seems like a big, a big uh, learning for you. Right. And it is a part of life. And it was, um, and I think, I think everything that happens in your life, we're on a journey, you know, and, I, and there's a lot of people that I think that like, I'm like you that, you know, okay, I'm, I've got God, so I'm better than you. And I'm, I'm at this high level of journey, you know, my journey, but <laughs> I don't feel that way at all. I think we're all on a journey and we're just striving to be better people. And I think all these things that happen to us, tragedies or anything in life, it just teaches us lessons and it just gets us, you know, we're still on this journey and we're plugging along and we're doing the best we can at, you know, at the time. And yes, I've, I still am grieving my mother. I'm not over grieving. I'm not, I'll, I'll admit it. And it's just, I, I mean, I probably might grieve her till the day I die because she was that important to me. Um, you know, 
I loved her. It was almost like we had the spiritual connection, really, the last few years of her life because well, and that's I took the, care of her. When mm-hmm. you take care of someone that way, it, it can really happen if both people allow it that the connection gets so much deeper. Mm-hmm. Then you're actually dre- grieving a bigger thing. Does that yes. fit for you? You know, oh, very much so. Your mm-hmm. your life turned around to the point where you really had her, and then you lost her. Exactly, and I yes, and I had her. I took care of her for probably t- ten to twelve years, and um, yeah, it was a big big loss because she was like um and she was also my responsibility you know it's like she had no one but me I mean my brother was in North Carolina and of course he loved her to death but I was the one you know day in and day out and even if you have caregivers you got to be the one that's taking care of make sure the caregivers are okay to make sure that she's okay and getting the right caregivers and and when they're when she's my baby, you know, I'm picky about who's going to take care of her, of course. And I wanted to be there all the time. But with my family, it just gets it was just very complicated, complicated. Mm-hmm. very complex. And I wanted. Um, but when I was with her, I was so present and it was such a such a beautiful thing. I mean, I would just sit and hold her for hours and we would just sing because you know that's the last thing that goes with them yes I, I do know that and she would know every word to every song and um and it was just a special special time um you know special time i still sing with her sometimes but anyway so um, it was very hard very hard so I wonder if it, you, you just reminded me what my first job ever in my life when I was 17 was going into nursing homes and singing for people. And that that was so wonderful because people would be kind of blank looking and then they'd light up. you know. <laughs> and if we went back to the place, we'd learn songs that people asked for that we didn't know. And then we, you know, it's a beautiful way to spend time with people are not um who don't have mental acuity let's right. say music is just such a beautiful place to me really i wonder if it's informed your thoughts about your own aging um whether you might have a little different perspective on um you know, kind of the arms to put yourself in as as you yourself age. Because one thing that seems the same in the two of you is is in your lives, in her life, up up to the point where she was declining, she was very self-sufficient and very capable and was used to helping everyone else. Well, of course, that's true of you, too. Yes. Right? Yes, I'm... I'm really just like her in that way. And I don't want to be a burden to anyone just like her. And yes, it is. It makes you think because we're all going to die, but you don't think about it until you've just experienced what you, what I just experienced. And the aging part is separate from the dying part too, right? Yes. And I'm (laughs) like, okay, when, you know, is something like that going to happen to me and who in the, who will take care of me? Um, And how will, you know, what will my last days look like, you know, and um, 
you know, those weren't the days I wanted for my mom. That's what still bothers me. So the it's very, just out of our control. Few, but it sounds like the ones before that sh- certainly were. Yes, 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 yes. She had a beautiful, beautiful life. And I, I did, I feel like I did do a really good job making sure she did um, until those last, last couple of weeks. But um, yes, you don't know what's going to happen in your own life and in, you know, the future. And, and I just feel like that um, the, you know, the elderly, we just don't respect them as a society. And I just feel like we've got to do a better job, especially giving them dignity in the last few days of their lives, you know, but I didn't realize this until it happened to me. And so then you really, I don't think a lot of times, you know, you don't, until you've walked in somebody's shoes, you really never understand anything. And so um, the other irony in what we're talking about right now is um, I would consider it the, one of the greatest privileges of my life to have taken mm -hmm. care of my wife. Was it hard? Did it hurt? You know, all of that. Sure. But it was a great honor too. And I, I think often about the flip side of that, that if she hadn't let me do that, I would have lost something. Yes. And so I, I have this thought, how do I practice relying on people so that it's not a big hurdle, <laughs> you know, because I'm pretty self-sufficient. Uh, and here's a secret. I don't always like the way people take care of me. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but how do we get ready for it, huh, Marsha? I don't know, because I'm going to be in the same situation. I mean, I'm, I like to take care of myself, and I like to kind of be in control, and I don't want to, yeah, bother other people. But, yes, there's got to be some letting go at some point, you know. And maybe a, a reframe on this bother other people thing. Mm, yeah. Uh, what do you think? Yes, of- like, because, yes, it was an honor. It was such an honor. It was the most challenging thing, but the biggest blessing and honor to take care of my mother I wouldn't have traded so maybe yes I need to let we need to let go of that bothering thing and and maybe um the part that that is bothersome to you and we've talked about it this whole hour it's not the things you did it's the things you couldn't do yeah yeah Uh, let's leave it there for today Marsha I've really enjoyed our conversation thanks for coming on oh thanks for having me Next week, I'll have Anne Anderson Evans. When her beloved husband killed himself seemingly out of the blue, she wondered whether he might have been keeping a secret that he had spent his whole life hiding his transgenderness. Her book, The Sweet Pain of Being Alive, tells the story of their love and her attempt to make sense of a loss that seemed to make no sense. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Espinosa-Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Espinosa-Jones on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week.